Hi, this is Kim Dixon, and welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation. It's been a while since I've been able to do a podcast, and a couple of things have happened since then. One is that the commemoration for the servicemen of Weber County that we had set for August 28th had to be postponed again. So now we will be celebrating the commemoration of the 76th anniversary of VE Day, and that will be held on Saturday, May 8th at the Ogden Amphitheater. So be ready to hear more about that. Also, I am so excited. I have almost finished 1943 and will be getting ready to publish it probably uh, sometime the end of August. So that announcement will be coming. That uh, has taken a while to get that done, but um, I'll have more to come on that later. Our story today is about New Britain, an island in the Southwest Pacific, and it was involved in one of the early battles of World War I when the Australian Navy overwhelmed the German forces that held it. And after World War I, the Treaty of Versailles created the territory of New Guinea, and it was given to Australia. Since the attack on Pearl Harbor, Japanese forces have nearly taken all of the islands in the Southwest Pacific, and in January of 1942, they overpowered the Australian garrison at Rabul and took it over. New Britain is now a part of uh, New Guinea, but at that time it served as a major Japanese base with more than 100,000 troops there. The next target for the Japanese would be Port Moresby, 500 miles away by air on the island of New Guinea. And Port Moresby was only 1,100 miles from Darwin, Australia, where the Japanese planned their next invasion. So today's story is about Lieutenant Winslow Gardner. He was born on November 23, 1920 at Manan, Idaho. It's a little town about 18 miles north of Idaho Falls. And it's where my grandma Skeen was there. I've actually been there. His parents were Ford and Ella Mae Green Gardner. He moved to Ogden in 1939 to attend Weber College. He was really active on campus. And there are a lot of stories in the signpost, which was Weber's uh, newspaper about him and his girlfriend, Louise Dixon. No relation. On February 29, 1940, there is an article in the signpost under the headline, Scandals of the Week. Have you seen the sad look on Louise Dixon's face? She says her heart is broken. Our guess is that Winslow Gardner could mend it. In April of 1940, he was elected treasurer of uh, Weber student body, and he graduated in 1941. He joined the Army in January of 1942, shortly after the Pearl Harbor attack, and became a member of the 5th Air Force, 64th Bomber Squadron, 43rd Heavy Bomber Group, and they operated in the campaign for New Guinea. The rest of this information is on Fold 3, which is an awesome military site where there's a lot of information about all of the wars. So I would, if you're looking for information, I would check that out. It's got a lot of stuff. According to Fold 3, Winslow was studying dentistry at Weber College and had taken flying lessons while he was there. He dated Louise Dixon, and she flew to San Francisco in November of 1942, the week before Thanksgiving, to see him off before he left for the South Pacific. The day before he left, he gave her a diamond and asked her to marry him. So from the website, he flew as the co-pilot of the B-17E that was nicknamed Texas No. 6. The crew had flown 40 successful missions when on June 1st, they volunteered to fly a reconnaissance mission over the north and south coast of New Britain. They took off at 10.10 that morning, and six hours into the flight, the B-17 was attacked by a dozen Japanese Zeros. 
The last radio message was received from the wide bay area. The zeros hit the bomber's gas tank near the number two engine that caused a fire and an explosion and ejected several members of the crew from the airplane. Five of the crew went down with the bomber that crashed into the summit of Hong Kong Mountain on the eastern side of Waterfall Bay. So the story on Fall 3 goes on to give the fates of the crew. Thomas Fox, the engineer, Charles Green Jr., the tail gunner, Bruno Bukowski, the gunner, and Virgil DeVos, the ball turret gunner, all went down with the bomber. Ernest Nailman, the pilot, Paul Cassio, the radio man, Charles Lewis, the navigator, Oliver Alvin, the bombardier, and probably Gardner, were blown from the B-17 by the explosion. So it was reported that Lieutenant Garner, along with five others of the crew, are dead, even though Lieutenant Garner was uh, listed as missing in action. Nailman, the pilot, and Cassio were wearing parachutes, and they were able to deploy them and land safely. Miraculously, Fox and Green, the ones without the parachutes, survived the crash. Fox was badly burned, while Green had only two minor wounds in his left knee. Unfortunately, they developed gangrene over the next week. The four survivors eventually found each other and made contact with the locals who assisted them in reaching the coast. So I guess that at one time was the official story, but now we have what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story. Paul Cassia later reported, we were attacked by 12 Japanese fighter planes. They hit our gas tank and caused the plane to catch on fire. The fire could not be controlled. Our pilot ordered us to abandon the plane, but before we could do so, the plane blew up approximately a minute and a half after it was first hit. I was thrown out by the explosion. There were only two of the crew who came down in parachutes. Lieutenant Nailman was one and I was the other. We landed in the jungle. It doesn't say so, but I assume they met up with the two other survivors, and we were with the natives for six days. On the seventh day, while pretending to take us to New Guinea in a small boat, they led us to a coastal village where the Japanese were waiting for us. So this story is about to open into a new and a tragic ending. So post-war, the Japanese claimed that Green and Fox, the two that weren't in parachutes, were taken to a hospital, but neither was ever seen again, and it is presumed that they died or were executed. And later, there was a Royal Air Force researcher named Keith Rendell who concluded that both were taken to Mau Mau and executed. So we can go back to Cassio for more of the story. On June 21st, 1943, Lieutenant Nailman and I were taken by boat to Rebel, where I remained for 21 days. Prior to our arrival there, I was blindfolded and bound. On reaching the camp, I was tied to a post at the mess hall for approximately 12 hours, during which time I was stoned by passersby and kicked by the guards. I contracted malaria but received no medical treatment despite my frequent requests. After 21 days, I was sent to Truck Island where I first received medical aid. While at Rebel, Lieutenant Nauman and I were treated alike. He told me that all the crew members had been killed either in the explosion or following the crash, except for the four previously mentioned. I did not see or hear from Nauman after leaving Rebel, and since my release as a POW, I have not heard from any of the crew members. I believe I am the only survivor of the incident. On November 25th of 1943, Nauman and 11 other Allied prisoners were taken from the POW camp. And also in the camp at that time was Reverend Joseph Lamar. He was told by the guards that the 12 prisoners were being taken back to Japan. 
Two weeks later, a group of Indian POWs informed him that the Twelve had been beheaded on the outskirts of Verbal. This included Nelman and other men captured from B-17 crews. The crash site was investigated in March of 1946. The team recovered the remains of at least three crew members, along with a ring with the first two letters A-H, but no one in the crew had those initials. The cockpit had not been found with the rest of the wreckage, and in 1987, a forest survey company discovered it in the jungles of New Britain, and inside they found Lieutenant Gardner's remains. He had stayed with the cockpit. He was identified by a few bone fragments and a boot. He was returned to his relatives for burial in the Hiram Cemetery nearly 48 years after he was shot down. Pieces of his uniform, a metal case with wireframe glasses, comb, boots, straps of his flight jacket, and coins were returned with his body, and they are now displayed at the Fort Douglas Museum. In 1991, a memorial service was held in Salt Lake City, and his sweetheart, Louise Dixon, now Larkin, who was 70 years old at the time, attended. His headstone in the Hiram Cemetery says, died in action over New Guinea with an airplane and wings on it. So there you have our story of another one of our pilots who was lost in the South Pacific. Um, next week, we're going to talk about three of our pilots who are going to go down in Africa in that battle. So thanks for listening. You can find the podcast on the Facebook page of Weber County's Greatest Generation or on iTunes.